One of my favorite quotes of all time has to come from C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And there's a conversation that's taking place between Mr. Beaver and Susan, and he's trying to describe Aslan. He says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. What an incredible way to describe this God that we serve. On this conversation that we had with Tom Van Dyke, uh, he, he was a pastor up in Canada and started to see that things were changing in his church. And he was starting to consider what, what's next for me. And this is a pattern, a thing that we've seen as we've had a lot of these conversations over the last year and a half, is that what we want is this guarantee of safety. That if I leave where I'm at right now and I go to the next thing, will I be safe? Is God safe? Is he going to keep me in all of this? And, and of course, he's going to keep us. But what we want to trust more than his safety is his goodness. And the thing that really jumped off the pages, off the, the sound waves as we were talking with Tom was that he knew that every step of the way that he had a calling that was greater than even ministry itself. And I think sometimes we look at this calling that we have in ministry and we think that it is the end all and be all of absolutely everything. And how could we possibly have life after ministry? which is uh, really a sentiment that that started the whole idea of let's have this podcast because when I came out of ministry myself, I thought, can there possibly even be life after ministry? And being on the other side, I can tell you, and I know that you will hear this as Tom is speaking, that indeed there is life after ministry. There is a great and amazing call after ministry. And that in the end, that we all find that God is good and life is good and that there is still ministry after ministry. Lean in and listen uh, to words of wisdom from my good friend, Tom Van Dyke. I know you're going to receive and enjoy this. Hey, well, welcome to the Life After Ministry podcast. We're here with my friend, Tom Van Dyke. Hello, Tom. Hello. Thanks for having me, Matt and Marilee. You know, it's really fun because having you on here now, we are officially an international <laughs> podcast. We've gone north of the border. Whoa, you're right. I, I never thought I'd be able to say we international podcast. It's so great. Tell us a little bit about you, Tom, where you're from, how many children you have, which is real interesting, and uh, we'll get started. Sure. So um, I live in Manitoba, Canada. For you guys who have trouble placing that, it's directly north <laughs> of North Dakota and Minnesota. It's a very large province, but we have very few people, only 1.7 million in the whole province. So it's very sparsely populated, lots of rural farms. Is it a province? It's a province, uh, yeah. A province like a state, right? Like help us yes. Americans. What is a province? A province is a state. We have provinces and territories, okay. um, right. which are both like states, but our provinces and territories are gigantic compared to your states. Okay. Like if yeah, Manitoba- very confusing. <laughs> No problem. If Manitoba flipped down on the border, it would go clear into Texas. 
So it's huge. Okay. Oh, wow. okay. And nobody lives up there. All There's right. not even roads. Well, there are people up there, but there are no roads that go all the way up to the north of Manitoba. But it's a beautiful province. It's amazing. We are very multicultural here. Um, I've lived here my whole life. I grew up on a farm, became a youth pastor at 21, had been a pastor for 19 years until um, October 2000. And I've been married for 22 years to my wife, Tara. We have seven kids and they range in age. This is going to be confusing for some people, but they range in age from three to 27. And so I've already said I was only married for 22 years. And that's because our older daughter, our oldest daughter um, is adopted and she joined our family when she was 15. Um, So we have a good mix of foster, permanent foster children and adopted kids and biological kids. It's kind of an amazing full life that we live. Um, Pretty hectic, but pretty fun. So uh, in ministry, uh, what kind of roles were you lead guy? Did you hang out with all the kids? Was your family the entire children's ministry? (laughs) I was part of two large (laughs) churches. So the first church I was at for four and a half years, I was the junior high youth pastor. So seventh to ninth grade. And then I came to um, this place called Steinbach, Manitoba. And there we, it was a very large church. I came here in 2006. We still live in this region. Um, 2006, we came, the church was at 1800. And when I left in 2020, it was at 4,500 people. So it had grown quite a bit. And the the really interesting thing about the church is that a third of all of that 4,500 was kids. So we had 1,500 kids on a weekend, ages kind of, you know, um, about eighth grade to birth. And get this, 15 to 20% of them were foster or adopted. Wow. So we had 110 foster families in the church. It was just, it, it was, and it was never like promoted. It just happened organically, which was really really quite an amazing thing to see and be a part of. Oh, and you asked me what roles I played. Sorry. I was a middle school pastor. I did, you know, so that's grade five to eight. And then I, for a while, I oversaw all of the the family ministries. So I had 17 staff working for me and we oversaw all of those kids up to um, high school. Uh, And then I wrote curriculum for two years. I was the pastor of curriculum development. And then I was an associate pastor of communications for the church. And that was the last role that I had. So I kind of moved up into mid senior leadership Mm -hmm. and that's where it stayed. So we, we talk about that last day out of ministry. So that, that is your life in ministry. And if we're going to talk about your life after ministry, um, we want to talk about day zero. Day zero is your last day out of ministry. Did it surprise you? Was it something that you initiated? Um, What was that separation like? I initiated it. But I think the uh, the proverbial writing was on the wall. Our church was going through real struggles um, in the pandemic. It, it really came to light that there was stuff uh, under the surface that was very political and there was lots of divisions happening. And we felt it like my wife and I, we felt it pretty acutely. Um, it was a very, very challenging time for us. The, the church was looking like it was going to split. There were pastors that were leaving it was it was just really really challenging, and so my day zero is a weird day because it 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 kind of didn't it, there isn't really a day zero for me. What happened was in summer, as the, the my world was kind of 
unraveling around me, I decided, well, I might as well read this book that I have. And it was Building a Story Brand by Don Miller. I'd had it on my desk for a year because I was the pastor of communication. So I figured, "Ah, I'm going to read this thing. And in the back of the book, it said, um, you can certify as a story brand guide. And I went, I wonder if I could do that. And I was 40. And I always felt like something significant about the age 40. My dad went farming at around 40. Um, You know, I, I just have lots of mentors who were 40 when they're, when really something took off for them in life. So I was like, maybe something's going to change when I'm 40. And it did. Um, so I, but I knew that I couldn't talk to my wife about it because the stress of, uh, it was just so stressful at the time. You know what that's like. And so I went to a friend of mine who is an NHL hockey agent and he had hired me. This is a, I know this is a long, long story, but he had hired me to write some children's books with his hockey players that he represents. And so I was in the middle of book one and then book two eventually came out as well. But I went to him and I said, look, Ray, would you ever hire me to do marketing? Told him about StoryBrand. I said, I'm really nervous. I can't tell Tara until I know that I have at least some potential work lined up, you know. And he was frustrated because he wanted me to finish those Mm -hmm. books um, that were taking forever to finish. And uh, so when I walked out of his office, he said, Tom, I want you to know something. When you walk into my office, you're going to have your salary for the next three months, which was actually half-time salary, um, about half of what I should have been paid. And then I'm paying for your certification for year one, which was a lot of money. And we're Canadian, so it sucks <laughs> because your ten grand is thirteen and a half for us, you know. So it was it. And I just looked at him and I, I said, Ray, like, I don't know if I'll ever be able to pay you back. And he said, oh, well, this isn't a loan. This is a gift. And on the check, he wrote investment in Tom's dream. So um, I went to my church and I said, I'd like to take a six month unpaid leave of absence. And they said, you know, financially, it would make more sense for you. Let's just let's just part ways. We'll pay you. A, we'll give you a, a, a gift as you leave. I said, financial would make more sense. I said, yeah, but I've got more bank accounts than just financial bank accounts. Um, I've got emotional bank accounts to manage and relational bank accounts. And for us to know that at the end of six months that I can come back is going to be the thing that gets us over the hump. So they agreed to it. And uh, I started my business on October 1st, 2020. I fortunately had three months of halftime salary you know, to work on this book project. Um, and I, I just, it just took off immediately for me halfway through my six month leave of absence, though, the church really fell apart and I knew I wasn't going back. So we negotiated, we negotiated my exit and I was officially out of ministry on about March 1st, 2021. So that's why it's kind of a, it's kind of an extended answer to your question, Matt. So relationally, um, how how did things go with your community, with the remaining staff? Did you feel loved and supported, even though this was something that you initiated? I love how you frame that too. Is like a you have a like a financial bank account and a emotional bank account and a relationship. That's a good way to frame it. It's yeah, hard it, it makes me feel like I actually have other bank accounts I can withdraw from <laughs> too, which is nice. <laughs> and the financial one runs out. <laughs> and uh, in invest in. <laughs> Uh, you know, the church split. And 
we're not in a large community. There, uh, the the city is about fifteen thousand people. The 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 outline area is about sixty thousand people total. There are thirty other churches in our community, and every little town has three or four. Um, and we had forty five hundred people. So you can like this split families down the middle, friendships. Um, it meant that there were people on both sides. Um, I've, I've been able to maintain a fairly, you know, reasonable relationship with people that stayed there. Uh, we still have some friends in our previous church, but certainly we began to identify more with the people who had moved on from the church. So, um, I'm still best friends with the former lead pastor there. We've stayed in contact with quite a few people who went and started a new church. That's, we haven't really attended church for the last few years. Um, uh, partly because we've been healing, but also our daughter has, um, is very vulnerable. And so we've had to, we've only now reentered our, our kids back into school. This is the first year they're back in school because we've had, we basically lived under a, a lockdown pandemic rules until, uh, this year, until this summer. And she's vulnerable um, physically, right? Like you have to protect yeah, her she, health. Yes. Yeah, exactly. She's vulnerable physically. And so, uh, yeah, when she was born, she was, she was one year old when the pandemic started and she at that time had like seven or eight specialists regularly in her life. You know, they were very concerned that if she got COVID or any other respiratory illness, that it would be very dangerous for her. So we've just been extremely cautious and it hasn't, it hasn't been bad to have a reason to kind of distance herself and take stock of what we need and want and heal and, become a family unit, you know? Um, so Tom, um, we met originally through the story brand community. Um, so I went into story brand after I came out, you could, as you were coming out, um, I, I would have preferred right. to do it your way. Um, but now you're, you're not, you're not going to a church office every day. You're at a home office. You've built up a business. Um, and I'm just curious, you know, we, we want to speak to the person that, um, either has just come out of ministry trying to figure out, you know, what's next. This is not a commercial for StoryBrand in any way, but I want to be able to right. infuse hope into somebody who has been in ministry and maybe they've been making forty thousand, sixty thousand dollars, um, which in America is not much. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm, and I'm sure that pastors in Canada don't get paid much as well. But um, even just what does that look like to step into? Well, step out of ministry and then step into the business space from a financial perspective and your relationship with money. And, you know, most of us as pastors, it, we have this poverty mindset that we can't buy a car that's too nice because then the people are saying, is that what I'm giving my money to? Right. All that stuff, everything right. changes. What is that? What did that transition look like for you? Okay. So <laughs> I was an anomaly. I didn't realize that I was an anomaly, but I, 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 call it luck, blessing, I don't know. I, I was able to pay myself in my first year of business twice as much as I ever made as a pastor, which meant that I paid myself six figures. Not That's not what I made, that's what I paid myself in the first year. Um, and I've, I've found that that's extremely rare. Believe me, my first six contracts were all sympathy contracts. <laughs> so <laughs> these were people who did not like how I had been treated. Uh, who trusted me as a leader. And they're like, well, you know, if, if he did well there, he's probably going to do well in marketing. So yeah, we'll let him build our website or do some 
messaging. When I when I started as a story brand guide, I did not know what is a, oh. what a lead generator was. Which, if you're not in marketing, isn't that surprising? But like, I I didn't know anything. I didn't know what a fractional CMO was. I didn't know what a CMO was. I knew none of the words, and I learned as fast as I possibly could. I consumed so much information and I met with as many people as I could. And by month three, now remember, I was, I had that, I had a, I had half of my salary was coming from those book deals. Um, but I did marketing for them too. You know, it was, it was all part of the business really. Um, but by month three, I was hitting my original financial goals and I was like, well, I guess I have to revise this. And from month three to month 15, my revenue was up 100%. And it was only when I started talking to other story brand guides, especially ones who were former pastors, that I went, okay, this is not, something else has gone on here and I need to figure it out. So I I started looking into it and trying to figure out what I might have done differently. Um, And one of the things I think that was very helpful for me is that although it was trauma, and although I was wounded, I also hit the ground running. And one of the reasons for that, and this is really important, then I'm going to answer your question about my relationship to money. But my calling was always greater than pastoral ministry. I never felt that pastoral ministry was my highest calling, ever. And for the two years before I left, things were not easy at the church. I didn't know why they weren't easy. The pandemic exposed why they weren't easy, but I didn't, they were hard. But I would leave there and come home to all these kids. And we've had 30 foster kids since 2011. I would come home to kids who got an unfair shake at life. They didn't start on the same place that you and I started. And they had real trauma and their parents were addicts and we were trying to minister to their parents as well. And I always felt that family was my true calling and having and 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 having a family with kids from hard places was my calling. And it actually helped me because when you're a pastor, you know, that's core to your identity. It's different than if you're a banker. I don't think bankers feel like it's a core to their identity. I just I don't know that, but I don't think so. But my primary calling was to be a dad to kids from hard places and it, that that didn't change. It didn't matter that, whether I was going to the church office or a home office. And so that bridged a gap for me. And the other thing it did was I went, oh, man, I had better provide for these kids. One of my friends told me a little while ago, he's like, you know, Tom, you never thought that failure was an option, did you? And I said, no, why would I live that way? <laughs> like, Failure was never an option. I believe there's enough work for everybody. I believe I can find the work that I need to live the life that I want. And I, and I did. Now there were, there were practical things that I did along the way, but life outside of ministry, you can, you can make it, you really can make it. Um, Now my relationship with money, I think, I think in all things, we need to become more balanced. So I know in the States, and I can talk about this because I'm a Canadian outsider and I'm very nice. The political landscape in the U.S. is almost a joke to us. It's almost a joke to me. I look at it and go, it is the unhealthiest tragedy of the American experiment um, that it is so divisive. Do you know how I think about it? 
Now, clearly in Canada, we're much more liberally minded, we're more socialist, and it doesn't matter where my political alliances lie. I say we need capitalism to pay for the social justice. We need, we need money to do the good that we're asked to do in scripture and we're required to do as good human beings. Mother Teresa owned three habits, but she ran a multi-million dollar charity. So while she wasn't putting her own personal money there, somebody somewhere certainly was funding her operation. And I think pastors, you know, we get up and we say that from the pulpit. We say, we, we know that God has blessed certain businessmen to keep the ministry going, right? Your, your spiritual gift is generosity. And we want you to go out there and make money so that you can support the ministries of the church and the work that God is doing. But we don't mean it. Because if we meant it, when we became those people, we would have no problem making money. And yet we feel guilty. And we don't want to talk about what our finances look like. We don't want to talk. We don't want to talk about what's going well. And we certainly don't want to talk about what's going bad because then we're a failure. So it's a weird relationship we have with money. And I just look at it and go, I have a calling in life. I'm going to make money so that I can have that calling work well. My, one of my financial goals is to have a, a vacation home in, in Orlando. It's our favorite place to go. We want to rent it out when we're not there. It'll be an investment property. That costs a lot of money, especially for a Canadian who has a 30% exchange rate, right? So it's, some people would look at that and say, that's just totally worldly and materialistic. And I say, look, I have kids who have faced neglect and trauma you cannot imagine. You can't imagine it. And I know the statistics of how many of those kids go AWOL after they turn 18 or whatever. My what somebody asked me yesterday on a different podcast, what is your definition of success? This is it. That one day my kids, I when faced that. with a trauma, would return home instead of going to the bar. And the only way they're going to return home is if I have created warm memories. My wife and I, all of us have created warm memories so that it draws them back when things are hard and it will get hard. Everybody's life gets hard. Their life will be hard. So we need to make maintain this site, this safe landing place. And one of the ways we can do that is with family vacations. So I'm going to invest in family vacations. That's, and I just, I just look at it and go, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And by the way, if we were, you know, if heaven forbid I go bankrupt and everything falls apart around me, we would still find a way to build those memories. Money is just a tool. That's all it is. I think in Luke nine or I think it's Luke nine. I haven't been a pastor for three years, so I'm, all my references are fuzzy. <laughs> as long as you get the right testament, New Testament versus old, we'll be we'll, we'll forgive you. It's all right. It's in Luke somewhere. Luke, all right. Fine. Jesus says. Jesus says, roughly paraphrased, <laughs> use worldly money to make friends. It's the craziest verse. Use worldly money to make friends, and he makes the comment: it's because the money isn't coming with you. So while you're on earth, why not invest it in ways that are going to have an eternal impact? Use money to make friends. And Jesus was buried in a rich man's tomb. And he hung around with rich guys. And he didn't, his, his ministry was funded. Like it talks about that. The people who funded his ministry. So we need to get past this poverty mentality. I think, I think um, probably more of the church's ideas that we use friends to make money, right? I mean, it is probably flip-flop <laughs> backwards. 
right? If we can grow our platform, <laughs> get enough true. of an audience, then we're going to have the money that we need. Um, but that is usual. Jesus always right. flipping everything upside down. Yeah. Tupperware. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you sell Tupperware to your friends and you have parties, right? So <laughs> there you go. Perfect. That's right. <laughs> Multi-level. I think the church has uh, fully funded the multi-level marketing scheme. <laughs> yes. We have kept that business healthy. Okay, moving on. Sorry to, to poke a bear. <laughs> yeah, so Tom, I, I'm, I'm also curious. Um, does does your pastoral makeup internally, does that hat ever come on in the midst of business interactions now? What does that look like? Yes. Yes, it does all the time. There, right at first, now there was an unhealthy teaching that I believed for a long time, and that was, if you are a Christian, that equals persecution. And the opposite is true. If you're not being persecuted, you're probably not a Christian. Look, <laughs> we live in Canada, in the West. Persecution here is not what they're talking about in the Bible. Like, and, and, but I fully expected if I was going to be a Christian, I was going to eventually, you know, maybe have to shut down because of my beliefs or whatever. That's nonsense. And and what happens is if you go out looking for persecution, you will find it every time. If you go out looking for beautiful people, you will find beautiful people. And I've worked with people with wildly different worldviews than I have. Okay. I've never hid that I used to be a pastor. It's part of my story. And they find it wonderful and endearing. I've never once had anybody say, I can't work with you because you used to be a pastor. Um, and it does not matter socioeconomic background, gender identity. It just doesn't matter. I have wonderful relationships and people know who I am and what I stand for. Where it comes on is the other day I got onto a discovery call with somebody and she was flustered single mom. I knew that from her website already. And she said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm just flustered. I'm not usually like this, this is a type A leadership coach. And she goes, I, I just had to pick up my son from elementary school because there was a lockdown and she was falling apart. And she goes, this is not who I am professionally. And she was totally embarrassed. And I said, don't worry about it. I said, really, don't worry about it. So I was able to vary in a very quick, soft way, become a pastor to her. Uh, this month, I met a young guy on LinkedIn, met with him. Turns out he's getting involved in uh, like intervarsity or something like something like that. He wants to start a business anyways. And so I, link, I linked up with him on LinkedIn. I said, sure, I'll meet with you because I meet with all sorts of people. Turns out his mom committed suicide a year and a half ago. And ever since then, he's been asking himself if there isn't possibly more to life. Had a Christian buddy from college. He says, I'm doing this thing called devotions now, where I read this the Bible on my on an app. <laughs> and he's telling me this, like, this is just, he says, I just really believe that there might be something to this, this God thing. And I was able to suggest, you know, Mere Christianity is a fun book. I said, when you read Mere Christianity, I said, we're getting back on the call together and we're going to discuss it. And I met another kid who's starting a marketing business. He's 19 in South Africa. Same story. Has a, has a Christian background, you know, and I was able to mentor him. He comes from a broken family. Like there's just so much opportunity. Um, there's so much opportunity to extend God's love to other people without <laughs> being weird about it. <laughs> just we don't have to be weird about it. I don't pray. I don't pray for my... <laughs> 
for my clients. I don't pray for them off camera or on camera, quite frankly. That's not true. I have a list of some people who I, who I, who I do pray for as, as I'm led to, but like, you, you can't take off, you can't take off the Christian hat, but I think we, we do a real disservice when we come, when, when we see every single business opportunity and interaction as evangelism, which I do not see it as that. I see it as a way to extend God's love, but I'm not, like I'm not I'm getting on calls with people to try and get them to be my client. <laughs> you know, to grow my business. And that's the way a relationship starts anyways. I'm I'm I've always had a trouble with the with some evangelism models anyways, because it's where friendship happens, you know, that that the greatest evangelism occurs anyways. So I'm in the relationship building business. It's coming very handy. Knowing how to build a relationship. Knowing how to be quiet and let the other person talk, very helpful, very, very helpful skills in business. So Tom, this is the question of the podcast is, is there life after ministry and is it any good? Well, I can, uh, uh, I can say with conviction that there is life after ministry and then it is exceptionally good um, because ministry is not my God. Jesus is my God. And he doesn't change wherever I go. We've idolized ministry. We've we've made the church into the idol in many in many ways. We we care more about what happens to our church than how Jesus is represented represented to the community. I think that's true. So I, I mean, yeah, there's wonderful life after ministry. Um, if somebody wants to get a hold of you and have you write their children's book, or even all of the fun marketing stuff, I'm going to just promote you on my own marketing company right now because I. They actually, it, they might, they might get a really good deal there. I think, uh, I think that you are the real deal, and you're doing some great work. I've seen some of the stuff that you've done. Um, but how do how do people get in touch with you? You know what? Look me up on LinkedIn is a great way. My website is tomvandyke.com. Just be aware that if you're listening to this, Tom and Van Dyke are all spelt a little differently than usual. So, um, <laughs> and I'll, I'll put all that in the notes too, so people will just be able to click too. But yeah, but, LinkedIn, my website, those are great ways to get a hold of me. Tom, um, I'm thankful for our friendship, for the lessons you've learned that have actually been really helpful for me. We're going to have to process this more afterwards here, but um, thank you for your story. Thank you for trusting God and for being a light in, in the world. And we're thankful for you. Well, I appreciate you guys. Merrily, it's great to meet you. I, I have appreciation for you through Matt. Um, but this is great work that you're doing. There's a lot of hopelessness and pastors are feeling are feeling it when they leave ministry. So I appreciate the initiative you, you are both taking in, in trying to help them find some light on the other side of that, of that very real darkness. So thanks very much. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll keep living life and ministry after ministry there north of the border in Canada. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Life After Ministry podcast. If you are navigating a ministry transition or you're in a ministry leadership role and you see a change on the horizon, the worst thing you could do is do this alone. We have two Facebook groups that are designed just for you. One is called Life After Ministry, and it's a group that offers community and support for those who are in transition. The other one is called The Elder Hub, and it's a resource center for ministry leaders. These communities are designed to give you insight, advice, and answers for your questions. We also have pastoraltransitions.com. 
And there you'll find articles on everything from messaging transition from the pulpit to what does it actually look like to become a community known by our love in every season. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. Your support helps us extend our reach and communicate this message. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Shalom.